message this week. Uh, this message this week includes not just God's word, not just the conversation that God and I had, but it includes words that God led me to from Charles Stanley and from Henry Blackaby and from a gentleman that is a friend of mine uh, over dinner, Larry Hessler, that he had with my wife and I this past week and from my wife herself. So you know this is going to be good, right? Uh, with all those people that have chimed in. And what a better tribute to pay to Fox and Hubert than to speak about humility this morning. Two, two godly men that uh, never sought self-attention. Uh, they were truly humble. So the title this morning may not sound like it's going to be about humility because it is I, me, my, mine, and myself. And if you take these words and you put them in a pyramid form, then it is a pyramid of destruction, a monument to pride. And if you surround this monument with words like this that we have heard so often, have it your way. Do yourself a favor. You owe it to yourself. You deserve a break today. Or if it makes you feel good, do it. So you can picture millions of people, maybe a majority of them can profess to be followers of Jesus Christ surrounding this monument, this pyramid, with their hands raised in worshiping it. And below that picture would be a small inscription that reads, The American Cult. Sad but true, where so often we applaud I, me, mine, and myself in subtle ways, but also in very overt ways. You see, there are millions of self-help books out there, and the society preaches, look out for number one at all cost. And because of that, we so often react out of emotions rather than acting out of God's truth. So we're going to be all over the Bible this morning, so stay with me. I want you right now, if you would, to turn to Matthew 16, beginning in the 24th verse. As Jesus is predicting his death, Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. I tell you the truth. Some of you are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. You see, Jesus' followers knew all too well what it meant to carry their own cross. Following him meant true commitment, even unto death. Jesus could have not put it more simply than he did, and no, nor could he put it more perfectly for us. The question is, are you looking at life from only your perspective? Are you spending more time trying to be heard rather than listening? Are you demanding that things be done your way rather than letting the Holy Spirit convict those around you? 
We need to learn patience, grace, mercy, and love. And even sometimes in love, we need to understand there's a moment of time that we need to stand down from our own perspective. You see, we cannot reach a level of social or civic greatness that's going to earn us a place in heaven. We, the church, need to remember that we don't need more leaders. We have the only leader we need, and that is Christ Jesus. What we need is more obedient followers, more obedient servants. Melanie, the other night at dinner, telling the story, reminded us of that young donkey that carried Jesus triumphantly into the city that day that we remember as Palm Sunday. You see, he was to carry Jesus. He didn't ask, who is this guy? Wait, nobody has ever gotten on my back. What are you doing? He didn't, as we so often ask Jesus to carry us, he was available to be the servant of his master. So it's time to turn from strife and selfishness and turn to the cross and see what it is saying to you today in your life. Leave the changing to him and bend to his will, not your own. Maybe we should realize that self-centeredness and selfishness causes more damage than we realize. Oh, we may feel good about ourselves for a moment, but that moment in time is ever fleeting. We want to be winners, don't we? But yet in Jesus, we are winners. We are winners forever. Understand outside of him, we are losers. Outside of Jesus, we'll never be content, we'll never be fulfilled, we'll never be truly happy, and we'll never be completely satisfied. Outside of Jesus, we will strive for things in some of the most sinful ways. It is the world that demands that we work harder. It is the world that demands that we work longer. It is the world that demands that we work for more money. It's the world that demands that we work for more prestige. You'll turn to 1 Peter now. The fifth chapter, the fifth, beginning with the fifth verse. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you, clothe yourself with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. General George Patton made the comment one time that glory was ever fleeting. But yet we worry when we can gain glory again. When we carry our worries and struggles by ourselves, it shows that we are not fully committed to God. We don't fully trust him. We're not fully faithful to him in our lives. Again, we worry about what other thinks, others think. We worry about a position or a status. We worry about seeking recognition. You know, isn't it amazing that Peter, of all people, Peter, a self-determined and self-confident person, would write the words that we just read? But you know, he did so after a string of failures. 
And he did so out of Jesus' loving grace. And he learned what it truly meant to be an obedient servant. And he learned what true forgiveness was. We should put our success aside. Or at least remember the one who brings success to us. So the question is, where did this battle begin about being concerned about ourselves? Well, you don't have to look very far in the Bible. In fact, you can look in the beginning of the Bible. Let's start by looking at the second chapter of Genesis in the end of that chapter, the 21st or 25th verse. The man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. You see, at this point, they're living in a perfect world. God has provided everything for them. Adam is in control of the animals. The, the garden is beautiful. It has provided food for them, everything that they absolutely need. And then you can read down about seven verses in the third chapter of Genesis. And the words are, then the eyes of both were open, and they realized they were naked. Sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Don't miss the part here where it says, then their eyes were opened. You see, the feeling of guilt brought on shame. The difference is that they suddenly were self-conscious. Sin ushered in self-awareness, self-concern, and selfishness. They had ignored God and they tried to hide from him. It all started with the disregard of God's one command. The only way to break this chain is to give in to God's will and be his servant, not your own master. Sounds amazing to us because, you know, in this day and age, we're always aware of the fact that we are naked. And we really want to hide our nakedness. But you know, one thing that we forget is what Scripture tells us. Scripture tells us that we are wonderfully made because we are made in God's image. Beneath all the wrinkles, the balding hairline, the fat, the other flaws, is God's miracle work. No wonder the, day, the devil wants us to be ashamed of it. We are children of God. So if we are self-absorbed, how do we decide to take a back seat to others? To think of others first and to think of ourselves almost as an afterthought. Leonard Bernstein, the great conductor of the New York Philharmonic Orchestra, said this. When asked the question, what's the most difficult instrument to play? He replied, second fiddle. He went on to say that I can find many, many folks that want to be first chair and play that violin. It's hard for me to find someone that has the same dedication and enthusiasm to sit in that second chair. Jesus played second fiddle to God. That is why Paul writes in Philippians 2, beginning in verse 3, these words. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, 
but in humility. Consider others better than yourself. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus. You see, self-ambition can ruin a family, it can ruin a church, and it can ruin a nation. But genuine humility can build them. It's not enough to know about humility. We need to embrace it in all that we do and all that we say. Humility makes you a better spouse. It makes you a better parent. It makes you a better worker. But most importantly, it makes you a better servant to God Almighty. It's hard to work with enthusiasm when you feel you're not first. But understand this, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you will never be first. You are not intended to be first. There are so many that say that they're believers, but you look at the by the way they live and you see that's not true. We have so many philosophers that want to talk about life, you know, those that Talk about things in such a way that you can't understand them, and then they want to blame you because they say you're dumb because you can't understand what they probably don't understand, but they are articulating until you finally give up. You see, the world is confused now, and Satan loves chaos. The confusion that is in the world is like this. Education says be resourceful. Expand yourself. Psychology says be confident. Assert yourself. Religion says be good. Conform yourself. Pride says be superior. Promote yourself. Materialism says be satisfied. Please yourself. You see, all these approaches encourage us to do either something with ourselves or for ourselves. That is so different from the model of Jesus. But it's so different from the message of Jesus. Jesus says, do not be first. Jesus says, be a servant. This is a philosophy that is just so simple. And it's so easy to understand. You see, here's what God's, how he sees it and how Paul writes about it in the 12th chapter of Romans, the third verse. For by grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. It's imperative that we develop a close relationship with God so we are first his servant, then we do his work. So what does this mean? Well, it means stop thinking so highly of yourself, or at least stop thinking of only yourself. Stop letting the two strong tendencies of selfishness and conceit control you. Replace all self-centeredness with humility. You know, still at the same time, though, I'm not saying just beat yourself up. There's a need for self esteem 
It's important because we don't want, you shouldn't think too little of yourself because after all, you are a child of God. But yet learn to put others first. We learned this as a small child. Some of us didn't learn it very well. How many times, if you could play back the time, how many times do you think you heard, Johnny, you need to share with your brother. Johnny, you need to share with your sister. Johnny, that's not yours. Johnny, put that down. Johnny, stop. Because at two and three, the world revolves around us. Hopefully we learn that, but we see as we get to be 20 and 30 and 40 and on and on, we still believe the world revolves around us. In our early school days, it's it's reinforced us that we need to share, that we are part of a class. If you were in the military, you understand the importance of the soldier beside you the soldier behind you, the soldier to your right, and the soldier to your left. Gentlemen, as young boys, you are taught to be polite to the ladies, to your mom. You're taught certain protocols. You open the door for the ladies. We begin to forget that, don't we, guys? In fact, the world has made it to where Maybe we shouldn't do that. I can open my own door. I remember one time as our youngest was growing up, probably, gosh, I don't know, 10 or 11. We were going into a mall, and so he was in front. He opened the door and walked in, and his mother was behind him as the door began to shut. And I said, Tyler, hold the door for your mother. He steps out, opens the door, holds the door for his mother, walks in, walks in behind her, and I'm standing there with the door shut. So we have to be very careful how we teach others to be polite. You know what? It's okay if someone gets that parking spot that you saw first. I don't understand why it's, that bothers so many people. You see a parking spot and you think that's my parking spot and you go around and you come around and somebody else pulls in the parking spot and you get irritated because that's my parking spot. That parking spot didn't have your name on it. But it's all about me. But you know, here's the fact. If we believe that our God is a sovereign God and he's in control of all things, you don't know what's going on in that person's life that just pulled into that parking spot. Obviously, God wanted them to have it more than you. And maybe they really needed it more than you. It's not all about you. But it is all about God. You see, listen to what Jesus offers to say about this. If you look at Matthew 20, beginning with the 26th verse, he's speaking to James and John's mother about her sons being leaders. And as any mom or dad would do, they want to say how great their kids are because each of you have have the greatest kids in the world. 
at some point in time. You have the greatest kids in the world. So in Matthew 20, beginning in 26, Jesus says, Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did come to be served, didn't come to be served, but to serve and give his life as ransom for many. One very, very simple message. You see, we are not here to use people. We are here to help God save people. A real leader has a servant's heart. While I was working through this message, I just remembered Fox and Hubert. Is how giving both of them were. How when asked if they would do something, it was always a yes. I remember them doing so much in the connect groups. I will always remember Hubert with the kids in vacation Bibles. They had hearts of a servant. You see, one mark we see at the time of a true revival that when God comes in his power, his people will be compelled to give their lives in his service. We must be bold. We must be committed to carry on God's redemptive work. We must honor those that have had that same commitment that have gone before us. We must remember the cross and Jesus' sacrifice for us. So ask yourself this question. If you believe that God has come, come among his people in power, why do we have a shortage of volunteers? Why do we have a shortage of resources for his work? You see, so often when we're asked to do God's work, our commitment is there, but it's based on our own schedule or it's based on our comfort zone. Have we lost track why God has called us in the first place? Have we forgot the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for our sins? You see, we are not saved from sin solely so that we may have a place in heaven. We are saved from our sins so that we may be those obedient servants. We can be that young donkey that Jesus rides in on. God has delivered us so that we might be, be in an obedient relationship through which we carry out his mission to redeem the lost and to make disciples of all nations. In the 110th Psalm, the third verse, as God speaks dominion with David, we read these words, your people will volunteer freely in the day of your power. Only the power of God Almighty will free us from our natural self-centeredness and turn us toward his will and toward his mission. We need not pray for God's power to come because that's the only way God comes is in his power. So the question is, do you have the love? Do you have the faith? Do you have the strength that Isaiah had when he said, 
here I am, send me. There's a story of, during the Revolutionary War of a, of a rider that was coming up to this road and there were soldiers trying to move this very, very heavy log out of the way so the troops could go through and the supplies could go through and there was a corporal standing there and the rider asked the corporal, why aren't you helping your men move that log? And the corporal said, I'm a corporal. I give orders. To which the rider got off his horse and went over and began to help the men move the log. And they succeeded. They moved the log. And the rider, as he was going back to his horse, some of the men said, who is that guy? As he got on his horse, he looked, excuse me, he looked down at the corporal. And he says, the next time you need help, Call your commander-in-chief. And George Washington rode off. You see, things God wants us to do requires a certain character to fit that assignment. It was 25 years before Abraham was entrusted with Isaac. So the question is, are you allowing God to build your character to what he needs it to be? You see, he has tasks for us that may need our character to be put back on the potter's wheel and molded again. It may take years for wisdom and discernment to come upon what the needs God has for us to be met. Part of the reason I think that happens is because so often we think we know what God needs. And we begin to do things for God. Because we know God needs this. We don't allow him to fix our character, change our character to where we are with him and do things with him. You know, it's real simple what our character should look like. You just simply have to turn to Micah 6.8 where it says, he has showed you, O man, what is good. And what does God require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. So examine your lives and ask yourselves, are you walking justly? Are you walking mercifully? Are you walking humbly with God? If not, reconcile yourself to whatever conflict it is that's going on in your life. Don't try to reconcile yourself. Be reconciled. God's word doesn't say do the best you can in reconciling. It says be reconciled. His word says to love your enemies, to pray for your persecutors, and to give in humility. Not calling recognition to yourself, but give in humility. So how are you learning to be more just? How are you learning to be more merciful? How are you learning to be more humble each day? You see, humility asks us to acknowledge our imperfections. And it it requires us then to change our ways. 
we have such an opportunity in front of us during this time. During this time, we are asking the question, why? And we're asking the question, I wish I knew what God was doing. Well, you will leave this earth wishing you knew what God's plans really were. Because God is a sovereign God. This world is in the chaos that it's in because of pride, because of self-centeredness, because it's all about me. And I don't mean I'm the one that is the reason it's that way, but I mean that's the attitude that people have taken. We individually fall short of being obedient to God's will. We are quick to judge, quick to criticize, quick to correct others, and slow to correct ourselves. So during this time, we should be in prayer, seeking God's face, seeking what his will is for each of us individually so that collectively we can truly be the body of Christ. I believe in my heart God wants to continue to bless this nation and to bless people everywhere. We have gotten so far away from what he truly desires us to be that the time has come, as I said, for us to seek his face. So I want to challenge you this week to examine yourself, spend some time in prayer. Pastor Mark mentioned that we should pray for those that protect this nation. This body of Christ has at least one protector that's in Washington, D.C. The Robinson's son, Aaron, has been deployed up there. This body of Christ has family members that each and every day protect this nation. And each and every day protect this community. Be in prayer for them that God would grant them peace, discernment, mercy, and humility as they go about protecting those that can't protect themselves. Pray for our lawmakers, our leaders, that they would hear that small, still voice and be drawn back to him. We have gotten to a place where we have taken free will we begin to just do whatever we want to do. And as believers, we must live as examples to those that are around us. That it's about him first. And we're more than happy to sit second fiddle. Mm-hmm.